At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. Lamentations chapter 4. As I've mentioned over the last several weeks, what's going on historically in the life of God's people is what's known as the Babylonian exile or the Babylonian captivity. God's people were now in this age where they were a monarchy, um, really established under King David in the books of First and Second Samuel, um, but things go terribly bad within this kingdom. The kingdom's divided into, it's split top and bottom. Um, the northern kingdom is known as Israel. Um, the southern kingdom is known as Judah. And the prophet Jeremiah ministered in the southern kingdom in Judah. And he ministered during the time leading up to the Babylonian empire invading Judah, invading Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem was in Judah. And so he's, he ministered, he prophesied during the time leading up to the Babylonian exile. And Lamentations was written lamenting that entire experience. And so this was a devastating period during the time of God's people. And this chapter captures the darkness and grim nature of that experience. Thankfully, during our lifetimes, unless you're from another country, we haven't lived through war in the United States, at least on United States soil. We haven't lived through that sort of experience. But that's what's happening. They're being invaded by a foreign country, and it is, it is gruesome, and this chapter captures that like none other. So we are earning our name, Woodside Bible Church, because we are looking at a portion of the Bible um, that is not, not often done so. But we were led um, to the book of Lamentations, and so we're going we're gonna to look at it. Lamentations chapter 4, verses 1, and, 1 through 22, brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. How the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold is changed, the holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street, the precious sons of Zion worth their weight in fine gold how they are now regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hands. Even jackals offer the breast, they nurse their young, but the daughter of my people has become cruel, like the ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children begged for food, but no one gives to them. Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment, and no one has wrung hands 
for her. Her princes were purer than fine snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire, but now their face is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones. Their skin has become as dry wood. Happier were the victims of the sword than victims of hunger who wasted away, pierced by the lack of fruits of the field. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. The children became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger And he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor the inhabitants of the world, that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priest, who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. The prophets and the priests wandered Blind through the streets, they were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away, unclean, people cried at the prophets and priests. Away, away, do not touch. And so they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests. No favor to the elders. Our eyes failed, ever watching vainly for help. In our watching, we watched for a nation which could not save. They dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near. Our days were numbered for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the heavens. They chased us on the mountains. They lay in wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in their pits. Of whom we said, under his shadow we shall live among the nations. But rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. But to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. The Lord will keep you in exile no longer. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, The Lord will punish. He will uncover your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Rags to riches stories have provided some of the most interesting and compelling narratives for us. You think of movies like Rocky or Aladdin. Think of fairy tales like Cinderella. Think of Broadways like Annie, or even reality TV shows like American Idol, or game shows like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, or even a cultural artifact like 
the lottery. They're all drawing on the power of a rags to riches story. Someone who went from having nothing to then having more than they could ever want. At the same time, ironically, along with being compelled by rags to riches stories, we are equally fascinated by riches to rags stories. Stories wherein the opposite of rags to riches stories take place. And these kinds of stories are especially prevalent within the celebrity scandal genre. So think of what took place several years ago in the life of Martha Stewart. Stewart was an incredibly popular TV host. She was a savvy businesswoman and just began to embody the ideal homemaker with her softness and warmth and skill. And then all of a sudden, the news headlines hit, Martha Stewart is going to jail. And it's like, what? Sweet, soft Martha Stewart in prison? Now, of course, we all know she was in rich person jail, but still. (laughs) Or think about the story of Bernie Madoff, the New York stockbroker who was massively successful for decades. And then in the final years of his career, he was caught in the largest investment scheme in history, sentenced to 150 years in prison. Eventually, he attempted to take his own life. His son, one of his business partners, did take his own life. While Madoff died in shame in prison just a few years after his conviction. And we could look at many other stories like these, where there's been movies and documentaries and podcasts, all telling the stories of different people's demise. People going from riches to rags, companies going from glory to scandal, individuals, families, nations, going from the heights of success to the pit of destruction. There's something intriguing, there's something captivating about these stories. They shock us, they stun us, they make us shake our heads in bewilderment. How could they go from the pinnacle of achievement and fame to the dumps of misfortune and loss? We want to know, so we're drawn in. Well, this morning as we continue in Lamentations chapter 4, the author gives a poetic description of how God's people experienced their own riches to rags story. In this chapter, the author gives us a street-level view of the destruction in Jerusalem in 586 BC as the Babylonians invaded. In a tragic but intimate way, we, th- we see the descent into ruin of a people, God's people. The author makes makes us look at the colors turning pale. He makes us feel the heat turning up. We see the mothers in despair, and through this chapter, he laments loss and order and everything good. So let's look at this painful description, this shocking 
portrayal of Judah's fall from riches to rags, first what we see is that precious people become worthless. Precious people become worthless. Listen again to the first verse of the chapter. He writes, How the gold has grown dim. How the pure gold is changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. So the poet goes back to the first word he began with in Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1. The word, how. Remember chapter 1, verse 1 of the book? How the lonely city that was, how lonely sits the city that was once full of people. How? It's this word of disbelief at what lies before his eyes. But here he uses it twice. How the gold has grown dim. How the pure gold has changed. So it's a reference here that seems to be to the gold objects of the temple. What he also calls the holy stones that are scattered. So after the temple has been ransacked and desecrated, the gold of the temple lies scattered in the streets, mired in dirt. So imagine if the Louvre Museum in Paris was bombed. And afterwards, in the wreckage of the streets, you saw tatters of da Vinci's Mona Lisa just scattered about. Or you saw fragments of the Venus de Milo sculpture just strewn about on the streets. You see tatters of the Veronese painting, the wedding at Cana, and many other masterpieces just lying about on the streets. Imagine the sense of loss to Western culture if something happened like that. Well, that's what the author is lamenting here. The way the temple's gold is just scattered about like some trash is symbolic of the fact that the temple itself is trashed. But it's not just the sacred objects of gold in the temple that are trashed, it's the people. He says there next in verse two, the precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in gold, how the precious sons are regarded as earthen pots as the work of a potter's hand. The sons of Zion, they were the glory of Zion, the men and women who bore God's image, reflecting God's love and goodness to the world. They are likened to fine gold, but now they are as earthen pots. They are as dignified and glorious as the bowl you eat your cereal out of in the morning. From fine gold to clay pots were the people of God. And now he begins to describe the experience of God's people during the siege against Jerusalem by the Babylonians, particularly the experience of famine and hunger. So this was the way the Babylonians overtook the people of Jerusalem. They starved them out. The city was well fortified and difficult to break into. So it would have been difficult and costly for the Babylonian armies to try to scale the wall or to break through the walls. They would have lost a lot of men and a lot of resources if the Babylonians did that. So one way you could more efficiently attack the city from the outside was to not let anything go inside, including food. 
Cities, as we know, do not have farms inside of them, right? Cities depend on the rural areas around them to support them, but the Babylonians cut off access into Jerusalem and thus cut off Jerusalem's access to food. And over time, eventually, here's what happened to the most precious and vulnerable people in the city. Chapter four, verse three, he writes, even jackals offer the breast, jackals, these wild beasts, they nurse their young. But the daughter of my people has become cruel like ostriches in the wilderness and the tongue of their nursing infants sticks to the roof of their mouths. The children beg for food, but no one gives them. So jackals and ostriches appear a few different times in scriptures together. They inhabited the wilderness. They made screeching sounds. Ostriches are described as abandoning their eggs in Job 39. So not a very nice mama bird, apparently. And so the comparison is being made is that even jackals, these despised animals, they nurse their young beast-like as they are. They still nurse their young. But the women of Jerusalem under attack weren't able to do so. In fact, they are described as cruel, like ostriches in the wilderness that abandon their eggs. Well, why are they described like that? Because their babies are starving to death. Now, I don't think that the author is saying that these mothers actually were cruel. I think he's saying that they became as though cruel because they weren't able to feed their babies because ultimately they weren't able to feed themselves. Nobody was locked in Jerusalem. And so verse four, the tongue of the infants sticks to the roof of their mouth for thirst. Perhaps they can't even cry anymore. Perhaps they're dehydrated out and You've probably seen pictures of starving children before. Their rib cages show, their bellies bloat. They beg for food, but no one gives it to them because there is no food. He continues in verse five. Those who once feasted on delicacies now perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple now embrace ash heaps. Verse seven, her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were ruddier than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire, but now their face is blacker than soot. And they're not recognizable. Their skin is shriveled. Their skin is dry. So the well-fed are now beggars. The beautifully dressed are now ashen. The attractive and handsome are now so disfigured they're not recognizable. They go from riches to rags. They go from glory to poverty. Precious people have become as though worthless. In verse nine, he comments, happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger. Those who wasted away from hunger, pierced by the lack of the fruits of the field. So the people dying by the sword are actually envied by people dying from hunger. So imagine envying death by the sword. Like you're in a bad place 
if that's what you desire. But so it is faced with the long, drawn-out torture of starvation. You'd rather be pierced through by the sword than pierced through by the lack of the fruits of the field. And then in verse 10, one of the darkest thoughts, one of the darkest verses, verses in Scripture. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. Now notice the author is not saying that these were cruel women who did this. Like they're so cruel they killed and ate their children. No, he says these were the compassionate women who did this. These were good women who did this, but such is the mental and psychological agony of starvation. They cannibalized their own children. Such is their descent from riches to rags. Precious people, young men and women, mothers and children, precious people have become as though worthless. A second thing we see as their descent continues, idolatrous leaders lose God's protection. Idolatrous leaders lose God's protection. So in verse 11, the poet mentions the anger of the Lord that burned against his people. In verse 12, he mentions that no one thought it possible for Jerusalem to be sacked, though it now is. Then in verse 13, he goes on. And he says, all this was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. So the writer points out that prophets and priests, in other words, the leaders of God's people, were particularly responsible for their fall from grace. As the leaders go, so go the people. And the leaders had become corrupt. They shed the blood of the righteous, is what he says. Now, this phrase, shedding the blood of the righteous, it was kind of a proverbial saying for doing a bunch of really bad things. Kind of like when we say a person has become toxic. We don't literally mean that their body is full of toxins. We mean that their behavior is as though it were toxic to everyone around them. Well, it's a similar concept here. And so the truth is there were numerous ways that the leaders of God's people were compromised, corrupted, and so in numerous ways the people had then become compromised and corrupted. Verse 14, he then says, the priests and prophets wandered blind through the streets. The priests and the prophets were so defiled with blood that no one would touch their garments. These were the pride of God's people, their leaders, wandering, blind, defiled, untouchables. And so when people see these leaders, verse 15, they cry, away, unclean. The people cried at them, away, away, do not touch. So the prophets and priests were fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us no longer. These leaders who were supposed to have vision for the future, they are described as blind. 
These leaders who were supposed to give direction forward, but they're wandering. These leaders who are supposed to shine brightest amongst God's people, but they are so defiled, you can't even look at them. And so we see what happens in verse 16. God removes his favor. He removes his protection from these leaders. Verse 15, the Lord himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to her priests. No favor to the elders. God's protection, God's favor, God's regard for these leaders is gone. Such was the richest to rags story of God's people. Precious people have become worthless. Idolatrous leaders lose God's protection. And then finally, the end comes without help. The end comes without help. Look at verse 17. He says, our eyes failed us, ever watching vainly for help. In our watching, we watched for a nation which could not save. Now, likely, this is a reference to Judah hoping for another nation to come to their aid against Babylon. The Babylonian empire had many other enemies in the region, so perhaps a neighboring nation like Egypt would help Judah out against Babylon, but it doesn't happen. They wait and they watch in vain. They receive no help. He goes on in verse 18, our enemies dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near, our days were numbered for our end had come. So the countdown is getting lower. The end is drawing near and God's people are unstoppably oppressed by these invaders. Next in verse 20, he says, the breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in their pits. The one of whom we said, under his shadow, we shall live among the nations. So the Lord's anointed here is likely a reference to one of the kings of Judah, one of the kings of God's people, who they had hoped they could live under his shadow and prosper under his protection, but instead they are under the ground in a pit, doing nothing but prospering. Their end had come without help. Such was their riches to rags story. Precious people had become worthless. Idolatrous leaders lost God's protection and the end came without help. Without help. Now you may be thinking, man, this is dark. Man, this is depressing. Like, why? Why is this even in the Bible? Why does God want us to reflect on this and learn from this? Like, where's Psalm 23? Where's John 3.16? Where's the good stuff? Where's the happy stuff? Well, I understand that sentiment. And we have and we will look at passages like Psalm 23 and John 3.16 about God's love and comfort. I promise you, Lamentations does finish. But at the same time, also, God must know that we need scriptures like Lamentations chapter four. We need scriptures that get seriously honest 
about how jacked up our world can be and about how jacked up we can be. Just in this last year, just amongst our decently small church, we've seen marriages separate. We've seen lives lost due to COVID. No previous health conditions. We've had people lose loved ones to suicide. We've had couples walk through the struggle to conceive. People who've lost their homes, people who've lost their jobs, people who've lost their wealth, people who've relapsed into drug and alcohol addiction. And I could go on and on. Just in the last year or so. Psalm 23 is great. John 3.16 is great. But we also need Lamentations 4. Because the Bible is more honest than any other religion or any other philosophy of life in saying that we are all broken. Our world is deeply broken. Our brokenness is deep. Our brokenness is profound. And some terrible, terrible things take place. Many of these things outlined in Lamentations chapter 4. And we need to be able to say with total honesty to God and to one another just how bad things can be sometimes. We don't need to pussyfoot around talking about the brokenness of the world. Lamentations 4 sure doesn't. He gets very, very honest, sharing with God's people, sharing with God this deep sense of loss and pain, his shock at what God's people have gone through, from riches to rags. Because you see, when we're truly honest about the brokenness in our world, then we can truly come to a place of repentance for the brokenness in our world. Trying to paper over or sidestep the tremendous evil and suffering and death that exists here, it means that we're not living in reality. It means we're not owning up to our brokenness and we're just trying to act like everything's okay. Sure, maybe I'm not perfect, but nothing to see here. Lamentations 4 stops us in our tracks and says, no, there is something to see here, and it ain't always pretty. So let's have the courage to be honest about these things and have our Lamentations 4 moments when we need to. And at the same time, along with having the courage to be honest Let's also have the courage to hope. I haven't quite looked at all of Lamentations 4 yet, so let's look again at the last verse. Verse 22. He says, The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, it is accomplished. The Lord will no longer keep you in exile. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, the Lord will punish, and he will uncover your sins. 
So the author refers to God's people as the daughter of Zion. That's where Jerusalem was, was on Mount Zion. He refers to God's people as the daughter of Zion, and he refers to Babylon, their enemies, as the daughter of Edom. You remember the Edomites from Genesis? They just are sort of symbolic for God's enemies. Daughter of Zion, God's people. Daughter of Edom, the Babylonians, God's enemies. And the author says to the daughter of Zion, your punishment for your iniquity is accomplished. And God will keep you in exile no longer. In other words, you are coming home. As terrible as all of this is, it will end. And then he says to the daughter of Edom, to Babylon, the punishment for your iniquity will come. And God will uncover your sins. In other words, he ends this dreadful chapter with a one-verse expression that God will deliver us and he will destroy our enemies. And friends, living in the age of redemption when we do, we know that the ultimate act of deliverance God accomplished was the life, death, and resurrection of the true king, the true son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we come out of exile back to God. Through Jesus, we are delivered from the deepest pits that life can throw at us. Our Savior God did not just sit back and watch the world languish in sin and brokenness. No, our Savior God dove right in. In Jesus, God entered right into the messiness and pain and brutality of life in a fallen world. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. God with us in our sin. God with us in our shame. God with us in our temptation. God with us in our failures. God with us in our loss. God with us in our tragedies. And because Jesus was with us, and because he died for us, and because he rose again, we can have confidence that he will bring us out of exile and take us home to God. We can have confidence that he will deliver us from the deepest pits life can throw at us. We can have confidence that he will take our lamentations for moments and turn them into Revelation 22 moments when God makes all things right. In the end. And so I urge us, let's be honest about our darkness and the world's darkness. And no matter how bleak it gets, let's also hold on to hope that there is final victory in Christ. 
May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father in heaven, we come before you and acknowledge the awkwardness of this chapter of scripture. It's awkward because it gets so raw, so vivid, so gruesome about how broken we are, about how broken our world is. God, it can be hard for us to go there. It can be hard for us to face reality and and own up to what's true about us and our world. And so, God, we thank you for the sacred scriptures, which once again take us to a place we ourselves might not have gone. And thank you that you give us permission and you call us to truth about what's happened in our world and about what happens to us as we go through life. And so, Father, I pray that for any of us here going through whatever, broken relationships, broken bodies, broken bank accounts, whatever it is, just sadness, shame, pray, God, that you would help us to enter into this kind of relationship. We can just be totally honest about how ruined everything is. God, help us to be real with you and with one another. And Father, at the same time, we thank you for this one verse call to hope that Judah's punishment was done and that their enemies would be defeated. And so help us to to have courage to hope. Help us to hang on, no matter how nasty, no matter how sorry, no matter how awful life gets. Father, I pray you would help us to hang on to hope and not give up. That in the end, you will make all things right. In the end, you will show yourself victorious. Father, may we be a community that encourages one another, that calls one another to this kind of hope, that looks forward, that looks upward, watching, waiting, hoping for you. And so God, we do that through this last song. We declare you are victorious. And no matter how the odds seem stacked against you or against your people, in Christ, there is victory there is victory. So we sing now with joyful hearts. In Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.